Welcome to TP Talks, PwC's Global Transfer Pricing Podcast Series. My name is Dana Hart, and we welcome you to our next episode in a special series addressing transfer pricing readiness amid economic uncertainty. In today's episode, we will be discussing various considerations around intercompany financial transactions. We first covered the concepts of liquidity and cash management in episode 56, and this podcast builds on those conversations as well as examines issues for the medium to long term. Joining me today to discuss this, I have Edwin Bagdasarian. Ed is a transfer pricing partner with PwC Australia. I also have Bob Ritter. Bob is a transfer pricing partner with PwC US. And I also have Jessica Yin. Jessica is a transfer pricing partner with PwC China. Bob is the moderator for our podcast today, so Bob, over to you. Thanks, Dana. Today we'll be discussing three main topics. Uh, first, we're going to discuss some issues and solutions related to existing intercompany financing arrangements that have uh, arisen as a result of the pandemic. Next, we'll walk through some considerations for new intercompany financing arrangements. And lastly, we'll go over some of the key main focus areas for each of our regions as we move forward. So let's start off with uh, topic one, um, and that's existing intercompany financing arrangements as we headed into the pandemic. So what are companies considering with respect to the current debt arrangements? And as an example, if there are issues relating to servicing minor company debt arrangements due to reduced operating cash flows, what are some options? Ed, I'll start with you. Thanks, Bob, and thanks everyone for tuning in. Look, Bob, the first thing I'd say is there's no black and white solution um, for a question like this, as every entity's debt arrangements obviously differ, and also the circumstances and, and the impacts of the pandemic is obviously different on industry-by-industry industry basis and on a company-by-company company basis. And like all things in transfer pricing, the arms length principle is the guiding light. But at the same time, there are some framing questions that are important to keep in mind when you look at existing um, intercompany financing arrangements and, and the impact of the pandemic. The first question is, what's the current performance and outlook of the borrower? How long is, is the borrower going to be impacted by the pandemic? Um, what is the outlook in terms of the cash flow profile, the creditworthiness of the borrower? in light of the remaining tenor of the arrangement. What's the forecasts around being able to service interest payments and other obligations and or meet its financial covenants? So the first question um, is, how will the borrower fare in the current environment when you take a deeper dive around the circumstances of the debt financing? The second question is, what are the options for the borrower? And a good starting point from an evidentiary perspective is what the broader group is doing. Questions around how's the group managing its external debt arrangements with third parties? What kinds of discussions is it having with lenders? Is it renegotiating its debt maturities, reducing covenants, changing pricing terms? Are there financial guarantees that are being provided? Is there more equity that's being injected to, to solidify the balance sheet, et cetera? So there is a question around, from a factual perspective, 
how the global group is managing its debt obligations with third parties and amending them if required. The other reference point is obviously the external market itself. Questions around what transactions and, and what patterns are we seeing in debt capital markets in terms of what lenders and borrowers are reaching agreement on within this pandemic period. And questions around, is there a temporary deferral of interest? Is there a repackaging or refinancing of debt, for example, into more covenant-like debt to allow more flexibility to operate, at least even on a temporary basis? Or in a worst-case scenario, uh, we talk about events of default. So that's a bit of a frame-up, Bob, around what to think about from the borrower's perspective and reference points around what would happen between independent parties, both in the group and the market. And evidence is a very important part of that, and, and, and we'll talk a, a little bit more about evidence towards the back end of the podcast. But they're the key points from my perspective. Thank you, Ed. And Jessica, do you have a reaction? Yeah, thanks, Bob. Um... Some of the key questions our clients are asking us and themselves during the period are, how do I effectively deploy funding to locations where it's needed? Is there any flexibility to extend the loan facilities and reduce the interest rates? In China, many group treasurers used to price their intercompany loans by simply referring to the central bank or the PBOC's lending rates or to reference rates provided by banks. Now they are exploring whether changes to the existing terms are feasible, and they are starting to ask how these changes can be substantiated and start to reflect on whether their existing arrangements are unplanned. So it is important to assess the reasonableness of the existing arrangements and to understand the potential risks brought by the proposed changes. During this period, we also see a number of clients initiating refinancing strategies where clients are looking to restructure their intercompany debt to ease pressure for the borrowers. I also echo uh, the comments from Ed. Evidencing what third parties would do in a similar situation is very critical. Whether third-party banks would be willing to reduce their interest rates, the additional financial covenants or pledges that will be required, and etc. These need to be documented in order to support the changes in intercompany agreements. Back to you, Bob. Thanks, Jessica. So just as a bit of reaction to a couple of the points raised by uh, Ed and Jessica, and I think, you know, Jessica, you mentioned just, you know, around what clients are asking about, you know, flexibility to you know, either extend facilities, potentially extend terms or change the rates. You know, I think just one thing to be mindful of and, and would need to be considered is, just you know, any sort of modification of debt, uh, you know, whether it's in the U.S., we've got kind of 1,001 to, to evaluate, but then thinking through, are there other kind of potential uh, other tax impacts outside of transfer pricing? So I think that's something to consider whenever you're going to do any sort of modifications of existing debt arrangements outside of just the transfer pricing realm. And I think just other sort of points is, you know, from reactions of what I've seen is just considering whatever you're going to do and the first place to generally go to is, you know, your intercompany agreements. And, and I think a discussion there is a lot of times, you know, th there are some companies that have fairly robust intercompany uh, debt arrangements that, you know, are, are pretty specific around, you know, terms and, and key aspects, but, but there's other companies where, 
the agreements, you know, assuming they have agreements, may lack specificity. So I think it's very important to look at this and then, you know, if, if we lack any sort of specificity in the agreements, you know, putting your position around, you know, why you've done something and why that way makes sense is all the more important. Um, just as a one last general reaction to other considerations that we've seen is just around cash pooling. Um, so I know there's various other impacts, that, you know, around existing debt arrangements, but you know, more recently cash pooling, it's, it's important to think through some of the economics you know, the, the USD rate especially has had gone down for you know, a period of time and is still low. And, and that's just having a bit of impact on the overall cash pool economics for many companies. And so I think it's just another area outside of some of the uh, other debt arrangements and moving cash around. We know that cash pools are used uh, throughout the group and, and likely have been used even more recently to get cash to the right locations. And so one thing I guess to be mindful of is just, you know, what, what are the current rates? Um, what, what are some of the arrangements we've done as we move cash around? And, you know, in certain cases, you know, do we have any sort of issues with the, the current economics of the pool? And with that, I think we'll, we'll move on to, to topic two. And topic two, we're going to switch to new arrangements. And so, you know, these are situations and we, you know, need to you know, either refinance debt or need additional funding or potentially change to a funding profile as an example, if the company has gone through any sort of restructuring, um, well, what do we do, right? As we know that, and we also know that the markets, uh, you know, well, while they've started to become more in line with the normal, uh, especially during a period of time, you know, spreads have, have ballooned and rates have, have crashed in some cases. So, so maybe Jessica, we'll start with you if you can give some initial thoughts. Thanks, Bob. So for new arrangements, I think the first and foremost, we'll be addressing the options realistically available to both the borrowers and lenders. Is there a commercial rationale for the new arrangements? Do the new arrangements leave the borrowers or lenders in the worse position than if they were to approach third parties? Can the transactions be supported with analysis and data? So the new Chapter 10 now provides a framework for addressing all these questions which taxpayers will need to consider when refinancing their debt and creating new funding transactions or changing their funding profile. We are seeing increasing activity in groups navigating the cross-border capital controls in China to look for more effective and cheaper ways to move their cash around. One of the more common ways we are seeing taxpayers in China used to uh, address these issues is through leveraging the more relaxed cross-border cash pooling rules. Of course, cash pooling arrangements are efficient in deploying cash, but this solution may only be a short-term move, typically within one year. For longer-term financing, companies will revert to fixed-term intercompany loans or guaranteed loans while exploring whether cheaper pricing is possible. To price these arrangements, it is important to take into account the current market conditions. For example, the loan prime rate in China is going down as part of the efforts from the central government to increase funding and liquidity for especially the SMEs. We also see extended loan facilities, deferred principal and interest repayment, and etc. And for guaranteed loans, reducing turnover tax and withholding taxes will be the key considerations when looking at how third-party expenses incurred locally and guarantee fees are charged out to related parties. Thank you, Jessica. Uh, Ed, do you have some thoughts you'd like to share? Yeah, a couple of thoughts from me, Bob, and, and I second Jessica's point. Chapter 10 
is going to be um, absolutely key in delineating the actual transaction um, and whether it's short-term, medium or long-term financing, options realistically available to the borrower based on the activity of the markets um, is going to be critical. Considering, as you said, Bob, in a world we're in currently where, where um, credit spreads are ballooning, yet base rates are, are obviously quite low. In addition to that, the only thing I would add is uh, if I take the case of Australia, which would be quite similar to, to other countries around the world, we also have additional considerations, not just about the interest rate, but the amount of debt funding as well, based on our thin capitalisation rules, with more and more taxpayers needing to rely on, on the arm's length debt test. We also have interaction with other uh, local debt equity characterisation rules as well and, and other parts of our tax stack. So the only thing I would add is that any decision, and these decisions are being made at pace for obvious reasons, does go beyond transfer pricing, and there are many other tax reflexes um, that do need to be considered as, as part of any new transaction. All right, thanks, Ed. Yeah, I think just to add to that, um, one one consideration, you know, outside of just the the overall go forward, and and we all agree, I think that the uh, the FT paper is gonna is really gonna be in which will now be chapter ten will be a key focus areas for tax authorities. Yeah, you know, as as a kind of quick reaction is, you know, I think the FT paper came out in February, and then COVID hit. Uh, and, and the overall pandemic. And so, you know, many companies which were focusing on it, you know, had all hands on deck to try and, you know, make sure that the company was running and that they, you know, got the cash to where they needed to. And so that's starting to settle down. They're starting to look forward, but but we can't forget that there was a lot to do in a short amount of time and treasury and tax, you know, had a lot to get done in their, their time. They had to figure out how to work likely remotely um, and they and they really just had to make sure their functions were done. And I think especially on the treasury side, um, you know, had to get cash to the right spot. And so there there may be cases where you know you know tax wasn't you know involved and reached out to at the time. And if robust policies weren't in place and and with the market turmoil, uh, transactions were likely priced and and put in place. So it's probably a good time to also kind of do an assessment, look at any gaps. In, in documentation or, or, you know, consider any sort of refinancing that make sure it's in, in accordance with the arm's length standard. So I think that's something, you know, to be considered as far as what current arrangements or newer arrangements, you know, in, in light of the pandemic, people should be thinking about, you know, there's oftentimes there were short-term capital loans put in place, um, you know, may, maybe arrangements were put in place without, you know, a proper intercompany agreements. You know, I think other things we've seen, especially on the U.S. side, you know, is, is more of the parents stepping in and more requirements from banks and requiring guarantees. And so, you know, thinking through that and saying, what was the purpose of the guarantee? What sort of benefit was conferred? Should there be a fee, you know, in place for that? And so I think those are all things that probably now a lot of uh, tax personnel should be thinking about. Um, and a lot of things that came up, you know, more recently has just been, you know, with the markets the way they are, how should I price this debt? And, and really trying to rethink, you know, I've, I've had a kind of a something I do annual testing or thinking about and how should I be considering that in, in terms of the current market? And, and there's not a one size fits all for any company, but, you know, it's really something that you need to kind of look into and, and make sure that you've really thought about some of these things and, and, and make sure you've, um, you know, put some sort of documentation in place uh, during this pandemic time. And so for our, our last topic, what are the main focus areas for your region for all the transactions discussed? Ed, I'll start with you. 
Thanks, Bob. And if I can summarise the message in the sentence, it's all about evidence, evidence, evidence. You mentioned, Bob, throughout this podcast that things are moving very quickly and there's obviously no one-size-fits-all and transactions are being undertaken in a time-critical fashion. And it's fair to say, given especially the level of uncertainty with this pandemic, in a couple of years' time when we come out of this, I have no doubt that a lot of the time the forecasts um, are going to differ from the actuals quite significantly in some cases. And we're going to have a world where, from a transfer pricing perspective, tax authorities are going to be able to review these arrangements with the clear benefit of hindsight. So with that lens, it is going to be absolutely key that for any transaction, and that covers existing arrangements that we entered into as part of point one or new arrangements as part of point two, contemporaneous documentation evidence is prepared around the thought process or around the framework for analysing the transaction, the delineation of the transaction, the options available, which we've spoken about in this podcast, the behaviour of the group, market comparables, etc. It's going to be important not just to get the tax perspective, but as you mentioned, Bob, it's going to be critical to get the internal treasury view around the reasonableness of the transactions um, from, from the third party perspective. Because the lens, what Watson might seem um, a few years down the track and not an immediate concern, and companies and multinationals are trying to get cash to the right part of the organisation currently as they should, it's important to keep in mind that these transactions will be reviewed in three, four, five years' time, as I've said, with the benefit of hindsight. So being able to explain the rationale or the decisions taken at the time through contemporaneous evidence is the best way to ensure um, that, that you're ready to to. Um, respond to any tax authority questionnaire or scrutiny in respect to your transaction. Thank you, Ed. And Jessica, what is your reaction? I, I, I quite agree with Ed. Documentation is very important. And in China, the statute of limitation is um, actually 10 years. So on, on the one hand, Chapter 10 will provide more guidance on financial transactions to both the taxpayers and tax authorities in China. On the other hand, implementation of this guidance in China remains an open question, at least for the short to, to midterm. While the Chinese market is gradually shifting to be more in line with um, international standards, there are still a fair number of differences in how loans are priced in China, even by banks. And also, differences in market liquidity and movement due to the capital controls in place. Both taxpayers and tax authorities will need to account for these differences when considering their intercompany funding. We expect to see more upscaling by the tax authorities in financial transactions, in particular given the increased number of taxpayers carrying out inbound and outbound funding. We have seen so far the key focus areas are likely uh, to be on the commerciality of these transactions, the options realistically available to both borrowers and lenders, and the arms length pricing. The taxpayers will need to start having in place consistent and coherent intergroup funding policies that will meet the arms length standard. Robust documentation of both policies and the analysis to support these policies will be critical in supporting the transfer pricing positions that the taxpayers take 
with respect to their financial transactions during the pandemic time. All right, thank you, Jessica. So I guess great points, and, and I'll also say documentation, right? I, I totally agree with you both, um, right? You know, putting your story in for current decisions and, and then kind of having that in place, um, you know, for, for future audits. Um, I don't think any of us think that the future is going to be uh, seeing less of a focus on financial transactions, especially with more tax authorities getting uh, up to speed and, and, and then having this paper. So, you know, I said, consider what you have, you know, whether it's related to pandemic issues, whether it's just general financing structure transactions, and then kind of on a go forward basis, you know, is it robust that, you know, is it something that tells your story? Um, and are there any gaps or holes? So I'd say that as well. Um, I think right now it's a good time for many companies to reevaluate the current financing structure. You know, there's obviously chapter 10 you know, and its final form is out, you know, in the US side, you know, we've had changes in US tax reform in the last few years and, and have been having discussions with companies, um, you know, as an example for cash pooling. And, you know, as a result of the tax reform changes and the impacts that, you know, 956 has lesser of an impact as it used to, you know, can we have a single pool or can we have the US as a participant? And, you know, yes, it's possible, but it doesn't mean there's not potential traps for the unwary. Um, LIBOR, right? LIBOR is going away. And so, you know, as it's, we're getting closer to the deadline, you know, in 2022, you know, what are some other kind of base rate options? How do we need to think about it? And so a lot of discussions I think we're having here is, you know, is your kind of structure fit for purpose? You know, it, are there any opportunities to simplify? And, and as an example, you know, do we have multiple financing entities around the world? And are there, you know, kind of transactions happening between operating entities or, or can we somehow maybe streamline it so we don't have so many different transactions in a web going on and then potentially just doing a risk and opportunity assessment so looking at where you know do you have any current gaps or, or issues and looking to say if the, what we know in the paper today do i have any historical positions that i potentially have some risk there and and then looking forward do i have any potential opportunities where Looking at the paper, you know, I think that there are some things that we could do to actually kind of help the company. So I think the last thing you know, companies should be thinking about around this is then any policy is great, but make sure you've got the governance and structure in place um, such that it's actually followed. And I think just generally speaking too is kind of reviewing your debt profile of the group members. You know, in light of what's been going on in COVID, there's various countries within cap rules. You know, and some of the funding may need to be adjusted, but I do want to end with it's not all doom and gloom. So, so I think the other thing would be there potentially are opportunities out there, um, and and something especially for U.S. multinationals to consider is you know the the applicable federal rates or AFR, as it's commonly referred to, are very low. So you know it's a U.S. safe harbor, and so you know if there's some need to potentially lend money from the U.S., there's certain restrictions and rules around it, it has to be in USD, but may actually be uh, some opportunities out there for, for companies. So with that, I guess maybe I'll just ask if there's kind of one or two key takeaways uh, that we each want to leave with our listeners. And, and maybe Jessica, I'll start with you. Thanks, Bob. Um, so uh, we are seeing fast-moving changes in the market during the pandemic. Staying current on these changes and allowing for flexibility in a company agreements, in particular for the refinancing arrangements, is quite important. 
Companies should uh, look to visit the arrangements more frequently, at least once a year, to reflect their funding profile and changes in the market. And another thing, well, Chapter 10 is used for in bringing clearer guidance for taxpayers and tax authorities. Financial transactions and their related um, transfer pricing issues are also at the same time uh, very uh, more in focus for the tax authorities. So taxpayers will need to have in place consistent pricing policies and robust documentation to evidence the changing market, both to ensure that the positions they take in their intercompany funding are supportable and to address the potential challenges from the tax authorities in the future. Thank you, Jessica. Ed, any uh, last takeaways for our listeners? Just a couple of comments from, from me, Bob, and I agree with both your comments. Financial transactions will remain a hot topic as evidenced by the release of the chapter. Um, it, it's probably one of the transactions which attracts um, the greatest scrutiny from tax authorities. We have Chapter 10 that's been released, and obviously the pandemic, which is an opportunity to reset your capital structure, think about where you need funding across the group, and potentially tinkering with your global financial transactions transfer pricing policy to ensure that it's both compliant with the new guidance, but also fit for purpose for the short, medium, longer term as, as your business emerges out of COVID. So that would be my one point to, to take away from today. All right, thanks, Ed. I'll keep mine brief. I would say the two points that I would like to leave listeners with is, uh, same as you, Ed, upscale on the OECD FT paper, which is now chapter 10, and just consider your overall financing structure you know, expect that tax authorities are going to have greater expertise and they'll be using the paper to evaluate in the future. So also just the document positions around the pandemic, look at your, and consider your documentation going forward and, and you'll, you'll be uh, probably very happy in the future that you did. Great. Thank you, Ed, Bob, and Jessica for those insights. And thank you to our listeners. We will continue to release these podcasts regularly and as the transfer pricing environment demands. We also encourage you to reach out to your regular PwC transfer pricing contact for immediate response. As always, your PwC teams stand ready to accompany you on this journey every step of the way. Stay safe and healthy. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.